I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather here together to examine the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together we can prepare to live outside the walls. We've got a great show for you today. Deanna Johnston, who is a pastoral minister at Our Lady of Guadalupe Cathedral in Dodge City, Kansas, is going to be on the show today talking to us about the feminine genius of the Bride of Christ. Uh, And this is an issue that often gets polarized one side or the other, uh, looking at the role of women in the church, looking at feminism in Catholicism. Uh, and we, when we hear the words feminism, we generally think of th- this picture of um, secular feminism, that, that everyone is uh, the same, we're interchangeable, and, and that's not something the Catholic Church holds to. The Catholic Church holds that there are differences uh, between men and women that go beyond physiology, that men and women are not merely interchangeable or replaceable, but that both have something vital to offer to the church. So she'll join us in the second and third segment. Uh, And then at the beginning of the fourth segment, we're going to be giving away a book by Alice von Hildebrand called The Privilege of Being a Woman. So if you are a woman, you're going to want to stick around for that question. Call in and answer it, uh, and we'll send you that book. If you are not a woman, then there is a woman in your life who will give you major brownie points for calling in and winning that for her. Uh, So stick around for that. We're going to open up in prayer, as always. We're going to spend the time in the scripture of the day, which really goes very well with our topic. Uh, we didn't plan it that way, but that's the, that's the way the Holy Spirit works. So we're going to do the readings for the day uh, and then a reading from church history. Now, we're taking our prayer and the reading from church history out of the breviary today from the common for holy women. So that would be if you have a feast day for a holy woman, a saint, who, uh, who doesn't have her own set of readings, then you would go to the common and read through those uh, for her feast day. So we're reading that today as our intercessions and our reading from church history in, uh, in light of today's topic. Through the intercession of holy women, let us pray for the church in these words. Be mindful of your church, Lord. Through all the holy women martyrs who conquered bodily death by their courage, Strengthen your church in the hour of trial. Be mindful of your church, Lord. Through married women who have advanced in grace through holy matrimony, make the apostolic mission of your church fruitful. Be mindful of your church, Lord. Through widows who ease their loneliness and sanctified it by prayer and hospitality, help your church reveal the mystery of your love to the world. Be mindful of your church, Lord. Through mothers who have borne children for the kingdom of God and the human community, help your church bring all men to a rebirth in life and salvation. Be mindful of your church, Lord. Through all your holy women who have been worthy to contemplate the light of your countenance, let the deceased members of your church exalt in that same vision forever. Be mindful of your church, Lord. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
Lord, pour upon us the spirit of wisdom and love with which you filled the holy women, virgins, and martyrs. By serving you as they did, may we please you with our faith and our actions. Grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Today's first reading comes from the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. Brothers and sisters, the love of Christ impels us. Once we have come to the conviction that one died for all, therefore all have died. He indeed died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Consequently, from now on we regard no one according to the flesh. Even if we once knew Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him so no longer. So whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And all this is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So we are ambassadors for Christ. As if God were appealing through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who did not know sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That reading again comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Today's responsorial psalm comes from Psalm 103, one of my favorite psalms. The Lord is kind and merciful. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all my being bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The Lord is kind and merciful. He pardons all your iniquities. He heals all your ills. He redeems your life from destruction. He crowns you with kindness and compassion. The Lord is kind and merciful. He will not always chide, nor does he keep his wrath forever. Not according to our sins does he deal with us, nor does he requite us according to our crimes. The Lord is kind and merciful. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so surpassing is his kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he put our transgressions from us. The Lord is kind and merciful. The gospel reading today comes from the gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. Jesus said to his disciples, You have heard that it was said to your ancestors, Do not take a false oath, but make good to the Lord all that you vow. But I say to you, Do not swear at all, not by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot make a single hair white or black. Let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more is from the evil one. That gospel again comes from the gospel of Matthew chapter 5. Today's reading from church history, we're going to go all the way back to St. Augustine. 
If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The Lord's command seems difficult and painful, that anyone who wishes to follow him must deny himself. But his command is not really difficult or painful, since he himself helps us to do what he commands. For the verse of the Psalms addressed to him was truly spoken. Because of the words of your lips, I have abided by hard ways. True also are his own words. My yoke is mild, and my burden is light. For love makes easy whatever is difficult in his commands. What does it mean, let him take up his own cross? It means that he must endure many things that are painful. That is the way he must follow me. When he begins to follow me in my life and my teachings, many will contradict him, try to stop him or dissuade him, even those who call themselves Christ's disciples. It was they who walked with Christ that tried to stop the blind men from calling out to him. So if you wish to follow Christ, you will take these threats or flattery or any kind of obstacle and fashion them into the cross. You must endure it, carry it, and not give way under it. And so in this world that is the church, a world of the good, the reconciled, and the saved, or rather, those destined for salvation, but already saved by hope, as it is written, by hope we are saved, in this world of the church, which completely follows Christ, he has said to everyone, If anyone wishes to follow me, let him deny himself. This is not a command for virgins to obey and brides to ignore, for widows and not for married women, for monks and not for married men, or for the clergy and not for the laity. No, the whole church, the entire body, all the members and their distinct and varied functions must follow Christ. She who is totally unique the dove, the spouse who is redeemed and dowered by the blood of her bridegroom, is to follow him. There is a place in the church for the chastity of the virgin, for the continence of the widow, and for the modesty of the married. Indeed, all her members have their place, and this is where they are to follow Christ, in their function and in their way of life. They must deny themselves. That is, they must not presume on their own strength. They must take up their cross by enduring in the world for Christ's sake whatever pain the world brings. Let them love him who alone can neither deceive nor be deceived, who alone will not fail them. Let them love him because his promises are true. Faith sometimes falters because he does not reward us immediately. But hold out, be steadfast, endure, bear the delay, and you have carried the cross. That reading comes from St. Augustine, and we're reading it out of the breviary, out of the common for holy women. Today we're going to be talking about feminism and Catholicism. And I wanted to talk about this topic because it's one that gets polarized very often. And it's, I think, my mission to, to find the center line on those polarizing topics of our culture. Everything gets politicized, and no one actually looks at what's being said anymore. Uh, so you have people that uh, rebel against 
what they perceive feminism to be. And in doing so, they throw out all of the goodness that has come through uh, the feminist movement in terms of seeing the true dignity and equality of women, which is not seen all over the world. Uh, there are cultures that still subjugate women. And, and then, then you've got the other half that thinks that equality is not enough. We need equivalence. Uh, and those are different terms, uh, you know, and that in equivalence, everything that belongs to one gender also belongs to the other. Uh, this is not the same thing as equality. And so uh, we, we end up with these two extremes of people who deny the secular feminist view of equivalence uh, and so end up really pushing back even against the, the idea of equality. And that's not where the church falls. Uh, the church falls very strongly in promoting the dignity of women. Uh, Paul did it uh, in the in the New Testament. St. Paul says, now there's neither uh, male or female, uh, Jew or Gentile, uh, slave or free. Uh, and then you've also, you've got Paul in Ephesians 5 telling husbands to sacrifice themselves for their wives, which was certainly not a very popular concept of the day. Uh, and then you have the, the doctors of the church. You have uh, St. Therese of Lisieux and Teresa of Avila, uh, Catherine of Siena, who the church recognizes as having something essential to tell us and to teach us as the people of God. You have St. Mary and St. Mary Magdalene. You have uh, Blessed Mother Teresa. And these are all people who would really chafe against the idea that the Catholic Church doesn't respect women. Uh, even in Humana Vitae and uh, the, the encyclical against contraception, one of the key reasons is that a man who grows accustomed to contraceptive artificial methods may forget the reverence due to a woman. Uh, and so, you know, these are things that the church takes very seriously. It's seeing the equality of dignity in every human person based solely on the fact that they're made in the image of God. When we come back, uh, we're going to keep this conversation going. There's a lot to talk about. And I hope you'll stick around. We're going to be talking with Deanna Johnston from Dodge City, Kansas. Uh, it's going to be worth your time. Join us on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. Uh, you can find out some more information at our blog, outside the walls.com. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. I'm glad you stuck through the break. Today we are talking with Deanna Johnston. Uh, she works in pastoral ministry at the Cathedral of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Dodge City, Kansas. Uh, now, most people try to get out of Dodge, and you you have moved there. Uh, welcome on the show, I Deanna. have. <laughs> glad to have you on the show today. Thank you. Now, you have just now done some, some graduate work in the whole concept of uh, what it means to be a woman in the church. I, I think that the title of your thesis was The Feminine Genius of the Bride of Christ. Yes, and I think part of that came from one, just the experience of, you know, being a woman, but I also have been working in the church, but I've also just been very um, influenced by the writings of 
Pope John Paul II, or St. John Paul II. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I was really encouraged to, to dive into that, and especially um, Pope Francis's call for a theology of women. You know, I came from, from another tradition. Everyone on the show uh, knows that I am a convert. And I've interacted with a lot of the people I went to seminary with were women and, and were uh, going into the pastorate. And there's this real strong push for women in ministry. Uh, and as I've come into the Catholic Church and seen uh, some people calling for uh, female priesthood, uh, some people think that that's a similar call. And yet uh, I look at the church uh, and and we'll, we'll get into this a little bit more in a while, but I look at the church and see uh, the female doctors of the church and all the female saints and Mary and and even uh, the the religious sisters all over the world and think we have women in ministry. Uh, we we're uh, light years ahead of some of the other Protestant uh, groups that are still fighting that battle. Exactly. Exactly. And if you look at if you look at your typical Catholic parish um, in the U.S., mm-hmm. um, you look at who who's really active in ministry in those parishes. Who your um, director of religious education are um, the catechists. This, women are very active and um, very influential in the life of the church right now, which is really exciting and beautiful to see. Well, and they're passing the faith on. Uh, to the next generation, they're they're informing the faith of those uh, who are their contemporaries, and I, and I see just a very strong uh, passion for faith and for ministry uh, in the women of the church uh, in America and really across the world. Oh, definitely, definitely. So, what sets then? Uh, what sets our position apart from? Uh, say the the Anglican Church lately has been in the news because they are uh, pushing for changing the language concerning God from Father God to uh, they went for a while to Creator Redeemer Sustainer and now there's a, even a push to go for Mother God uh, in in the title and so um, you know what's the difference between maybe what we perceive to be the feminist movement in in other places and and the very authentic feminist movement within the Catholic Church. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I would say that um, just one of the great blessings that we have um, being Catholic and the rich history that we have, and you look at our our literature and um, just the writings of the Church Fathers, and you see over and over again this reference to the Church as the Bride of Christ. And the Church herself is is feminine and to say that we're we're relating to God as father we're looking at Christ as the bridegroom and when we if we were to try to to change that language language is is powerful um, and it means something so if we're to start calling God mother um, that really changes our whole theology our whole um, outlook on on who the church is and, and what she's called to do. And it also kind of takes away from the role of the Blessed Mother, because Mary is our mother. <laughs> Mary is the mother of God. Um, and we see in, in the, the writings of the church just this, um, this beautiful reflection on, on complementarity and um, 
this affirmation of um, the feminine, the femininity and the the masculinity um, that's expressed in and through the church. Um, so we have to be so careful um, to not undermine that just to find something that that makes us feel more comfortable. Right. Um, and I know that some people have said, well, we can call God mother because maybe someone hasn't had a good relationship with their father, so it's hard for them to refer to God as mm-hmm. father, or they don't have a, an understanding or a concept of, of um, what, what a father figure would look like, so they relate better to mother. But mm-hmm. I think that's even um, a greater reason to, to look to God as father, because he, he is the ultimate father. He is the, the perfect father. Um, and it also helps us to understand who we are in relationship to him. Um, now you brought something, yeah. you brought something up there. You talked about, uh, the church's view of complementarity uh, and I've come across several people who don't necessarily understand what that is. Maybe they have a, a cursory knowledge, but they don't, they don't understand the depth of it. So can you maybe break out that concept of complementarity just a little bit from your perspective? Sure. Sure. So when we're talking about complementarity, we're talking about the fact that men and women are different. And that's not a bad thing. It's mm-hmm. actually a, a, it's a beautiful thing, and it, it's the way that God created us. Male and female, he created them, we see in Genesis. Um, so when we talk about complementarity, what we're saying is that men and women are different, and, and each of us has something different to, to bring forth. Um, me as a woman, I experience the world differently than my husband does. Um, and I can offer things. I can offer um, gifts or uh, experiences that are that are just different or unique to the fact that I am a woman. Um, and it isn't just to reduce this to a, a physical thing. I mean, men and women are, are physical and on on are are different on a, a biological level. Right. But um, the way that we experience life is also um, different just based on the fact that we are, are men and women. Um, now, so it's a first, oh, go ahead. No, it, well, it seems that lately, uh, the, 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 what we understand of the feminist movement as we watch, uh, news and we interact with people in our society, uh, seems to be almost neg- a negation of complementarity. So how does that work for you as, as a feminist to, to hold to complementarity and, and even to teach it? Right. Because I, I think, um, Secular feminism tends to look at um, like what it means to be woman um, as okay. Well, we're women are different than men, but um, we can be the same. And so there's this push towards um, we have to be we have to be equal, but at the same time we have to be able to do the exact same thing um, as men do. And it tends to reject things like motherhood. Um, or, you know, the capacity to, um, to bring forth life or this receptivity that we see um, just stamped on, on a woman's body. And um, so, so I would say secular feminism tends to push things like that away. Mm-hmm. Um, new feminism, um, which is something that uh, has been really promoted just through the, the writings of, of Pope John Paul II, um, over the past decade especially, is looking at, you know, those things that make us distinctly women, um, particularly our, our life-giving ability, um, as things that are 
good. And it's not um, to say that, you know, women are limited to being mothers or um, can only choose religious life or motherhood and that's it. That's all we have to offer the world. But the fact that women have a life-giving capacity, that's just how we were created, whether whether we become um, biological mothers or not, um, we have that ability, and that means something. And when we look at that in relationship to the church, um, there's just a whole new depth there, or I just there's a lot to to explore. So when um, when Pope Francis says that okay, we need a theology of women, he's he's affirming the fact that you know women women are different. This, feminism is a is a wonderful thing, and it and it's helped society greatly. But it can't be something that only focuses on becoming the same as men. It has to affirm the difference between the two and, um, and building on that. Right. Does that make sense? I, I was having this conversation with my wife probably maybe about a year and a half ago. And she was struck as she was interacting with, uh, with feminist literature that there seemed to be this real strong push for sameness. And, and this, mm-hmm. uh, someone made the statement um, that I can do anything a man can do. And she was struck by that and said, well, I don't want to do something because a man can do it. I want to do something because I can do it. Mm. Uh, and not driven by any sense of competition, but just living my own life fully. Exactly. And I, and it's, it's kind of heartbreaking to see um, how that has, has played out in, in our culture and in, um, in our society. It's just this, um, this drive towards, okay, women, you, in order to be uh, a woman, you have to be more masculine in a sense, or you have to reject those um, stereotypical things that um, are, uh, are attributed to women. So this whole idea of, of um, being able to be a mother or um, things like receptivity or, um, uh, yeah, just that, um, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. That's all right. Um, but it's, that it's a, that's a bad thing and it's a rejection of, of who we are, who God created us to be. And I think that's where we can, we can and and we need to look to the Blessed Mother as the ultimate woman or the ultimate example of of what the feminine should be. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a real quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, this idea of the church as the beautiful picture of femininity. We're talking with Deanna Johnston today. She serves as a pastoral minister for Our Lady of Guadalupe Cathedral in Dodge City, Kansas. We're talking about what's often a controversial topic, uh, the role of feminism in light of the church today. I hope you'll stick around. There's a lot more to talk about. Later in the show, we're going to be giving away a book by Alice von Hildebrand, something you're not going to want to miss. So stay tuned. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. 
Glad you've stuck around. We want you to be a part of this conversation, so head on over to social media, facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls. Twitter, the handle is at Outside the Walls, or you can find out more information just by going to OutsideTheWalls.com. Today, of course, we're talking with Deanna Johnson, who works in pastoral ministry at the Cathedral of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Dodge City, Kansas. And she's talking to us about feminine genius. Now, just before we came uh, to break, you were talking about how uh, femininity is unique and it's it's different than masculinity that it's equal in dignity and yet there's difference there and the difference uh, provides depth and it just reminded me of the doctors of the church and you've got these two great doctors you have saint thomas aquinas uh, from the uh, the middle ages uh, very rigorous uh, philosopher a scholastic uh, and then on the other side, you have St. Therese of Lisieux, the little flower, who entered religious life at a very young age, uh, a little bit impetuously, uh, went above the religious uh, order's heads straight to the Pope and asked them, asked the Pope to uh, make that order let her in, which he did. Uh, <laughs> and yet her, her writings are marked by simplicity and intimacy. Uh, and so the church affirms to us both the rigorous scholasticism of Aquinas, and also the uh, the the intimacy and the the focus on uh, being redeemed by our sufferings uh, through Therese of Lisieux, and both are treated as having something essential to teach the church. And it's so beautiful to see the both and mm-hmm. that uh, that the church offers us. It's never just one of one thing or or. Um, a rejection of one thing, but to have those two extremes is is so helpful to us because, of course, there are times in our journey where we need that that intimacy with our Lord, and then there's also that other um, side of of uh, the scholastic or the the, the studiousness of um, of uh, of our faith, and I can see how how that difference kind of leads us towards. Um, looking at a theology of women, um, and I guess we should back up and say that you know if there is a, a theology of women, then there really needs to be a theology of men as well. There's mm-hmm. this theology of complementarity going on here, um, and really what it's looking at is the fact that there are differences between the two. Women are distinct amongst creation. Men are distinct, um, but it's that forming of a communion of persons um, right. where we we see the, the church um, at her at her best we, we see that um, really lived out in the in the life of, of the faithful um, so yeah just being able to uh, to see that dynamic is is so it's it's incredible yeah. <laughs> to see how that how that works because you can't just have one right. you have to have both. You, you you really need those those differences. Well, and we've seen and maybe have reacted a little bit to uh, to an improper picture of of that difference. You know, you've got Paul, Saint Paul, is looking at um, at the Roman culture and seeing uh, the way in which uh, women are seen in that culture, and he responds by saying, "There's no longer uh, Jew or Gentile, uh, slave or free, man or woman." Uh, in terms of realizing that we are all 
children of the Father. We are all equal in the dignity that we've been created with. Uh, And yet at the same time, uh, you know, we've seen our culture, maybe in the last several decades, uh, have a subjugating view, perhaps, of women. We know that other cultures certainly do uh, as we look around the world. And so we still have to fight that fight that there is a dignity uh, that dwells in all humanity equally, uh, and we can't subjugate uh, one gender over the other. Exactly. Exactly. And I think we have to, we have to be careful when we talk about things like, um, like there being a feminine genius, mm-hmm. um, amongst women or you're even just a feminine genius of the church or, or on the other side, a masculine genius that we, we avoid the, the two extremes of, you know, kind of boxing women in and saying, well, women are only this way. Women are, are only mothers or they're only, um, called to be virgins or women are only, um, passive, receptive, Mm -hmm. um, beings and they can only do certain things. Um, and then at the same time, we have to avoid, um, this rejection of, uh, of difference or this rejection of saying, um, well, the physical difference doesn't matter. You know, we're all the same. And while we do all have, you know, equal dignity, we're all children of God. We're all created in the image and likeness of God, of course. Um, but to reject um, the difference completely is also um, not helpful. It's not. Uh, it's, it's not going to to lead us to. Um, I don't know. Just God's vision for. Um, for how we relate to him or how we participate in the bride of Christ. Now we've used that term uh, several times in here, the bride of Christ. And that that of course is a scriptural image. And and I find such challenge in the scriptural images. You know, we're called uh, sons of God and some Bible Mm -hmm. translations change that to children of God. But the, the word there in the Greek is sons. And the reason for that is because of the relationship and what sons indicates, uh, specifically at the time of that author, uh, in in a way that just children does not even today. And so the church calls me to be a son of God, and that's maybe easier because I, I am a son and understand the concept, but it also calls you to be a son of God. Uh, and maybe you have to wrestle with that a little bit more to, to understand and grasp it, uh, but on the flip side, we as the church are called the bride of Christ. And, and that may be easier for you to grasp because you're a bride. And so you mm-hmm. have that context and that framework that you can say, okay, bride of Christ, I'm to act towards Christ in the way that I act uh, toward my husband in that groom-bride relationship. But now it presents a challenge for me, uh, who I've never had the experience of being a bride. And so now I have to wrestle with that and maybe get a sense of what that means. So for all of, uh, all of us men out here, help us out. What does it mean? <laughs> what does it mean to be the bride of Christ? What is the feminine genius of the bride of Christ? And what does that have to teach us as men? Oh, that's a wonderful question and probably something that, that needs to be taken to prayer and, <laughs> and really um, chewed on and, and reflected on for a while. But um, I can't remember where C.S. Lewis wrote this, but I remember him saying something like, um, you know, we are all feminine in relation to God. Uh, you mentioned earlier that women are 
by nature life-giving. And so that's the command that, that we are to go uh, into all the world and give life. Ministers of reconciliation, the scripture said earlier, to bring, uh, to bring the life of Christ to everyone around us uh, and not so much in a, in a conquest or conquering way, uh, but in a nurturing, uh, motherly way to give life. Exactly. And I think that we can look at Mary, the mother of God, as the perfect example of this. And actually, I would say that we find the, the faithful, the, the church finds her feminine genius by looking at Mary. We see that she she wasn't just this passive um, woman who just happened to be at the right place at the right time and just happened to become the mother of God and, and that that all of this happened to her. Uh-huh. No, Mary played a very active role. She said yes to God. She responded right. um, with her fiat. Um, and with that, that, that changed um, the course of, of salvation history or it established that new covenant. Um, so, so she herself um, becomes, uh, becomes the ultimate model of, you know, not only of a femininity, but just the, the posture that the entire church should have in relationship to God. Yeah. So the church being the bride of Christ, um, we look to Mary for that. We, we see how um, Mary held Christ in her womb and um, gave birth to a savior. And um, she also becomes the new Eve uh, and, and how that is, how that's played out. And then um, just looking at the church and how um that the church fathers have these beautiful writings about how the womb of the church is the baptismal font. And from there we go forth and we're called to be nurtured. Mm-hmm. Um, just as a, a child is nurtured by um, their mother, um, we look to the church, our mother, for nourishment um, in the sacraments, most especially in the Eucharist. So that call to, to life giving love in the life of the church. And so that's where that, that whole dynamic of, of us as an entire church being the bride of Christ, that's, that's just how we, that is the best image for, for how we relate to God. We're receiving God's grace where we're called to, to give life, um, in our culture and our, in our world. Um, but it is something to constantly take to prayer. And, and of course we, we can never, um, we're, we're so limited by, um, by our analogies, but all of us, whether we're men or women, we're called to be in that posture of receiving God's grace and actively participating in it and, and, and bringing forth that, that life, um, in our world. Wonderful. We've been talking today with Deanna Johnston, who is a pastoral minister at Our Lady of Guadalupe Cathedral in Dodge City, Kansas, about the issue of the feminine genius of the Bride of Christ. It's an interesting topic, and there's so much more nuance than we can get into in this short period of time, but perhaps we'll have her back out on the show in the future. When we come back, we're going to be giving away one of her favorite books. So stick around. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Glad you stuck around through the break. We're about to give something away. We're talking today with Deanna Johnston, who works in pastoral ministry at the Cathedral of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Dodge City, Kansas. And she's been talking to us today about the feminine genius of the Bride of Christ and the place of feminism in the Catholic Church today, how it can inform us both as men and women as we strive to know Christ better. Uh, We're going to give away one of her favorite books called The Privilege of Being a Woman by Alice von Hildebrand. Uh, It's a great book, and we're looking forward to putting it in your hands. So what you need to do is go find a phone and get ready to dial 918-928-KPIM. That's 918-928-5746, and you're going to give me a call and let me know the answer to this question. According to Mulieris Dignitatum, what are two dimensions of women's vocation? According to Mulieris Dignitatum, which is a letter, an apostolic letter from St. Pope John Paul II, uh, what are the two dimensions of women's vocation? So go Google it, go look it up on Vatican.va, and then give me a call, 918-928-KPIM, and we will send that book out to you. Now, speaking of books, this is not necessarily a topic that uh, that a whole lot of people are familiar with. At least uh, I've found that the people I interact with uh, don't really have a good grasp of uh, feminism. They either subscribe to a secular feminism or they are gun shy because of secular feminism. So help us with some resources. How can we learn a little bit more about the feminine genius uh, of the Bride oh, of Christ? Definitely. Definitely, and I would I would say first of all just go straight to the source. Um, Saint John Paul II has blessed us with so much, whether it's theology of the body, or specifically, I would really encourage everyone to read um, his letter to women, which was published in '95, okay. um, or Mulieris um, Dignitatum on um, the dignity and vocation of women, which was published in uh, 1988 um, on the Feast of the Assumption. Um, that was very, those were both very refreshing letters for me. Um, and also check out um, authors like Dr. Monica Miller. She has a book called Sexuality and Authority um, in the Catholic Church. Okay. Um, and Dr. Pia de Salini. Uh, she has a blog on Pathios, I believe. Um, and she talks a lot about things like the feminine genius and uh, complementarity and things right. like that. We'll put those links up on our social media. You can find them at facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. Our handle is at outside the walls and you can also find them on the blog at outside the walls.com. Deanna, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Well, there's a lot more that I want to cover, and we've only got a few minutes left together. So be watching social media this week, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. And also uh, Twitter, our handle is at outside the walls. And I'm going to be posting some articles that I found very helpful on this topic. Uh, Folks like uh, Sister Teresa Alethea, who we've had on the show before, who's a daughter of St. Paul. She's written about this considerably. Uh, we'll put some stuff up from uh, from Father Dwight Longenecker, who's got some interesting perspectives specifically on the idea of, uh, of the priesthood and why we have a male priesthood uh, and how that does not take away from the role and the dignity of women in the church. Uh, with lots of stuff that we want to address on this topic. Maybe you've got an article that's really stood out to you. Why don't you come and post it on the wall 
uh, as well, and we'll have a conversation about that. Uh, now, um, just a little bit of time left, uh, and I, I still I would feel remiss if I didn't remind you that coming up just a few weeks from now, uh, August 7th through 9th, is the Midwest Catholic Family Conference. Uh, Kristen and I have gotten our booth registered. We are scheduled to be there. The kids are looking forward to it, and we hope to see you there. Uh, now, if I'm not enough to get you out there, there's so many more people there. Tim Staples will be there speaking, Simka Fisher. Matt Marr will be giving a concert. We'll have Tony Brandt, who was on the show a few weeks ago, will be there as well. And this is just really a stellar event. Now, maybe you're out in Kentucky and you think, oh, that's just far too far for me to drive. I want to ask where your sense of adventure is, right? Because think about the great American road trip, stopping by the side of the road to see the world's largest rubber band ball. These are things that you can never recapture. You take that 11-hour drive and you're thinking, oh, man, this is going to be so expensive. Well, you know, where else can you find this kind of quality programming for like $105 for the whole family? That's the family price, $105. You, you, couldn't, uh, you couldn't go out to eat for that price anymore uh, when you take the whole family. And yet, they're providing you such an amazing opportunity. Stuff for the kids, stuff, stuff for the youth, stuff for the adults. Uh, it's really worth your time. So if you decide that you're up for adventure and you drive out there and you spend your $105. Now, if you, if you wait until you get there to buy your tickets, then the price does go up. Now, then it's 135 for the whole family. One price, 135 for everyone in your family. And some of the people there have pretty big families. So, you know, when you break it down by that, it's not so bad. Uh, when you come, and you decided to take that adventure, I want you to come by the booth, the outside the walls booth, and say, hey, the road trip was excellent. The, the, lar- the world's largest rubber band ball made it worth the time. Thanks for bringing that up. Uh, and uh, I'd love to see you there. I'd love to hear what station you're hearing me on. Uh, I'd love to know what your favorite episode has been so far, maybe what some of your ideas for future episodes are. Uh, we're all one big happy family here, and I just we need to have some quality time as a family together, uh, and I look forward to seeing you there. For more information, you're going to go to catholicfamilyconference.org, catholicfamilyconference.org. That's coming up August 7th through 9th in Wichita, Kansas. Uh, it's not too far of a drive. It's really not, and it's worth your time. Well, next week, we're going to do a, a special Father's Day episode. We're going to have a, a few surprises. We're going to have a, a, maybe a double giveaway next week because it's Father's Day and people have fathers. Maybe I'll give one away for you to give to your uh, your dad and one to give away to your, uh, you know, your priest, your father. So we'll, we'll do a double giveaway next week for Father's Day. And I hope that you will join us again. Now, as you wait for the next episode... First of all, remember to go buy something for your dad. You can't count on winning something from the show and getting there on time. So go buy something for dad for for Father's Day. But tell me your favorite story about your father growing up. You can tell me at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam.